Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging, and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is a return guest, actually, Dr. Natalie Pageler. She's CMIO at Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, excited for the discussion. You know, this actually came prompted really from the post discussion of the last episode. I think you were episode nine or something. And we, we started talking about privacy of children's and all the nuances there and the passion you had for it. So I'm excited to have you back. But before we dive into that topic, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself in Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me back. I, I am uh, the chief medical information officer at Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Uh, as well as a pediatric intensivist and the program director for the Clinical Informatics Fellowship across Stanford Medicine. Um, for those of you who don't know, Stanford Medicine Children's Health is a um, about a, a 390-bed children's uh, inpatient children obstetric hospital with uh, 60 ambulatory sites across the Bay Area. Awesome. Well, let's let's talk about it. You know. It's interesting as a children's health organization, you bump into all sorts of different privacy things than most organizations. Give us a feel for some of those unique data privacy challenges that really exist for children. Yeah, it, when it comes to children, it really is just a different world. So, um, so a couple things to consider. Um, you know, one is um, that for the most part in the adult space, uh, the adults have a right to their own patient data. In the pediatric space, it gets a little bit more complicated. So usually for young children, uh, uh, the parents or guardians have a right to that data. Uh, and then when they become teenagers, suddenly it gets more complicated because there are different state laws across the United States in regards to what rights do the teenagers have to their data versus what rights do the parents have to their data. Um, and so that creates some of these complications um, and I think really one of our jobs as uh, healthcare leaders is to help educate families and help educate those teens so that they can grow up and learn to take care of their own data um, and start learning some of the information security privacy practices they should be considering. So we want children to uh, grow up. That's, uh, you know, as a, as a father of four, that's a challenge, but, but you're <laughs> right. I, I think it's an interesting balance. I mean, yeah, talk, talk to us about what is the role of, of the healthcare organization versus the patient versus the parent in keeping the healthcare information private? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, this is a favorite topic of mine and I could go off forever. So I'll try to keep it, uh, keep it a little bit concise, um, but please, um, you know, happy to go in, I'm happy to go into any direction. But you know, for from a healthcare system, um, we we do have a um, a responsibility to our patients and families to keep health um, information private uh, for and that and and to understand those intricacies between guardian and child and adolescent and and young adult. So um, so it is our it is our job to try to share health information with families to help help engage them in their care. And I think especially for children, um, it is important that, that families have as much information as possible so that they can support that child to be as healthy as possible. However, when children start becoming adolescents, it's also important for them to start taking on some understanding of their own healthcare, 
And in the case of specific sensitive topics, whether it might be reproductive health care or sexually transmitted infection treatment or alcohol and drug treatment or even mental health treatment, there is good evidence out there that some adolescents won't seek that care if they think their parents are going to know the details of that. And so best practice from organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Associations is that we should create a way for, uh, for adolescents to be able to access that confidential care so that they get the full holistic care that they need at that very precarious age. There are a wide range of different state laws that support that. So for an example, in California, where we have very robust laws around adolescent confidentiality, adolescents are allowed to consent and therefore keep confidential services like sexually transmitted infection treatments, pregnancy prevention, um, alcohol and drug uh, treatments to some extent, mental health treatments to some extent. Um, and so that's, that's supported. Uh, in other states, it is not as clear. And, and while pediatricians know what best practice is and know that they need to ensure that, that adolescents are getting the care they need, um, sometimes the laws aren't quite as clear. It's interesting. It, it reminds me of when I was taught why sharing patient data might be bad. Because, yeah. you know, as a technology person, you're like, well, of course we want all the data to get to the right people to be able to provide the best care and do it. And and, and a, a patient named Erin Gilmer, who sadly passed away, she, you know, she taught me that, hey, if my mental health thing gets to the wrong person, then they treat me differently. Right. Which is fascinating. I, I imagine you'd bump into that as well. Exactly. And it's not only if, if my mental health care gets to the, the wrong person and I get treated differently, that can be an issue. Or if I'm worried about that information getting the wrong person and I don't seek care in the first place, that can be a major issue. And that's often the barrier that we see with adolescents where they don't know if they can get confidential care. And because they're afraid of what might happen, even if it wouldn't be bad, because they're afraid, they don't seek the care they need. Um, and there are plenty of examples of, of that happening, unfortunately, um, around the country. And so it's really about creating this safe, respectful uh, environment for them to seek care. And you could almost see it going forward, right? Like if if I go seek treatment for something, it gets out to my parents and I asked you not to do that. Now I've lost trust in the healthcare system in general. And that's going to be a lifelong challenge, no? Exactly. Yeah, you've, exactly. You know, you've lost, you've lost the trust with that particular provider and the healthcare system in general. And then so when you know, will you go back when you need care? Um, and mm. so really establishing those early relationships can be incredibly important, um, but yeah. hard, hard to navigate. And, and again, I think, you know, in most cases where a parent can be brought into the care of a child and, and be involved, that is usually the best, the best thing for the family. Um, and, and, Ideally, and the child probably wants it too. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, and ideally these cases where we're not sharing everything are, are very minimal and, and, and exceptions, but it, those, those protections need to be there. I That's, think, you know, but no, I was going to say just a kind of another twist on that, you know, and kind of all is yeah. because, because parents, you know, have a right to a lot of the, the child's information, um, I think it's it's also super important that we educate parents about how to protect that child's information because mm. because if parents inadvertently share information out broadly, um, they're doing it. There's no way that the child can take it back. Right, 
2018, right? And so, um, so I think you know those kind of this, there's this dual um, these dual considerations around pediatric health data privacy. Um, you know, one, how do we how do we ensure that the child parent are getting the right information, but then also how do we educate both the teen and the parent about appropriate protections uh, for health data so that 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 child isn't adversely affected in the future because information got inappropriately released to the to the world. Yeah, well, and as data is being aggregated, that's a bigger and bigger problem. And as we're, as we're looking, even social determinants of health and all that, that information is there and being aggregated and brought back. So what are some tips or, or maybe some guidance you could offer patients or and or their parents or the guardians when it comes to the privacy of their health information? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there are thankfully lots of good uh, materials coming out across you know, across the world and, and the web that you can find. But I think there are some, you know, very uh, simple practices. So, you know, one, thinking very, very carefully about what you post out in the world, you know, if it's the internet or if it's social media, I'm sometimes surprised by what parents will post on social media about their children that, you know, is, is sensitive health data. Um, I've even seen things like genomes being put out there on the web. So, um, you know- so You can't change that. <laughs> Once it's out, it's there. Exactly. Exactly. Once it's out, it's out and the child doesn't have a way to bring that back. So I think Mm -hmm. as a parent in particular, it is very important that we are thoughtful about what information we are, we are, you know, purposely putting out into the world. Um, And that's the kind of, you know, the purposeful, egregious, uh, egregious, you know, um, act that might, that might release the data. I think the, the, the harder layers are kind of where might you accidentally be, you know, letting information get out. So uh, I think, you know, being really thoughtful about what apps you download. Um, most, I think many people know that, you know, apps that are coming from your health system come under protections of HIPAA, but health apps that are outside of health systems aren't under protection of, of some of those kind of stricter privacy laws like HIPAA. And, uh, and so it's really important that people are aware of um, being thoughtful about what apps they download making sure that they really read those terms and conditions and understand what the the data practices are for those apps there's been lots of studies unfortunately showing how much of how much kind of private health data is getting released and shared or sold um, through some of those health apps uh, and then you know and being thoughtful about what you allow that that app access to so do you you know turn off location services does it does that app really need access to your photos or access to your contacts um, being, you know, really paying attention to some of those alerts and being thoughtful about about what apps you download, uh, and then um, and then, you know, depending on on how concerned you are about things, you can, you know, think about things like what web browsers are you using? Are you accepting cookies? Um, are you clearing your web browser history? If, if especially if somebody else might be using that web browser. Uh, are you, you know, erasing cookies? Are you using some of the more secure web browsers? Um, are you using secure text message messaging platforms if you're really texting very sensitive data? Uh, so those are all kinds of considerations that you can think about to keep, especially very sensitive data, more protected. 
Yeah. And I, I think people do misunderstand the HIPAA protections and how it only applies to providers. Like even that fundamental thing that there's a great Twitter account that highlights all the ways people apply HIPAA incorrectly. <laughs> and you see, like they think it applies to everything. Like, oh, that thing that my mom posted on Facebook, that should be protected by HIPAA. And you're yeah, like, not so no, much. not at all. She's not a provider. She's not. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the health systems and the providers have to protect it. But once we give it to you, if you do something with it, then it's it's out in the world, right? And it does not come under the same protections. And so helping patients and, and families understand that I think is very important. So do you think that people should not use these health specific apps? You know, I, mean, I think what I, a great example is like the period tracking app, right? right. Talk about intimate data, right? That's personal data. Do you think they should just not use them? Or do you think it's more about just being thoughtful of how you use it? Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's being thoughtful. Uh, so, you know, in the post Dobbs era, I think reproductive health data has become a sen especially sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if you might be in a state where abortion services aren't legal, or whether you're if you're traveling in those states, um, being very thoughtful is important. So, uh, you know, so definitely if you're thinking about things like period tracking apps. Uh, thinking about, uh, are you allowing them to use your location services? Some now have um, have an anonymous mode um, or, or just not using them, period, um, to be as safe as possible. Uh, there's, you know, with all of these things, there's ups and downsides. So the, the more access you give them, the more data you give them, the more they can feed back and give you information to support you, but then necessarily you're sharing that data. So I think depending on your context, depending where you live, depending on the laws that you live under, um, you need to make the decisions that are right for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's They often say in tech worlds, uh, if you're not paying for the app, you are the product. And, and exactly. that's important to remember, uh, definitely. Absolutely, you know, and I think and I think that's a critical, it's a critical piece of information. And that's why it's so important that when you're signing those, when you're signing up, understand what you're signing up for. And exactly as you said, if you're not paying for it with cash, you are the product. And so what are you giving them? And it may be worth it if it's something that's not super sensitive and that you're not particularly worried about, you can make that decision, but make it a decision. Right. Sometimes even if you pay, you're the product, but absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So I mean, I think awareness is a really interesting thing and you're helping with that here, but are there other areas healthcare organizations need to work to ensure the privacy of their patient data? You know, whether, you know and specifically to kids is great or, or even more generally things that you see that you're like, we need to work on this. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are so many th different things that we need to do. So um, it, it, most people, you know, whether it's kids or adults, um, it, it are constantly struggling with this battle of, you know, there are certain data that I want to share, that sharing it will help better serve me, that my family knowing about it may help them, them gather around me. Um, but if it's, you know, certain sensitive data, I may not want them to know that. So that, you know, I think that's pretty obvious in the adolescent cases I gave it, but it could be similar with, you know, an adult who is, is getting mental health treatment or drug treatment that they don't want certain family members to know about. Um, it could be true for a, for a young woman who is, uh, who is you know, looking for reproductive health services or uh, abortion services and, and doesn't want family members to know that. So I think it's really important that we, again, help educate people about ways that they can protect their, their health data um, and choose not to share it. Uh, so understanding your own organization's practice your own healthcare organization's practices uh, and, and your options is important. And if you go to any healthcare systems 
uh, Health Information Management Department, they should be able to talk you through your options. You can do things like explicitly say, I don't want my health information shared with other organizations. Uh, again, there's, there's downsides of that. So the reason why we promote information sharing amongst health organizations is because you can get more holistic, you know, collaborative care. Um, so when you're not sharing some of that information, it may, it may inhibit or it may, may affect how the next provider treats you. Um, but if you're really worried about information, that may help give you the privacy you need. Similarly, things like patient portals. Uh, many patient portals will allow you to share your information with, you know, with a family member, with spouse, with a, um, with a parent. Uh, and uh, understanding how that health system's patient portal is set up and what your options are. Do you want all the information shared? If there's a piece of information you don't want shared, how do you make sure that doesn't get in the portal? There are, you, there are options around all these things, but it's different at every organization. So understanding those options is important for, for patients. Um, uh, and then thinking also things about like things like billing. Um, so, uh, so if you are on somebody else's insurance, um, for example, they may be getting the bill with some, some specific health information in that bill. Um, and so thinking about um, making sure you're thoughtful about that in California, there is actually a, a specific law and website you can go to to say, I don't want the details of this healthcare um, included in my insurance bill. So there, you know, there are specific uh, workarounds for, in some cases, but understanding that um, and, and making sure you're choosing those options and or paying for it yourself if that is an option. Uh, might be things you want to think about and that healthcare systems need to make their patients aware of. Yeah. It's amazing how many happen unintentionally as you kind of described, right? Uh, I, I remember a story of an HIV clinic sending out something to patients to have them rate them and review them, which sounds innocuous. Like, please help us, rate us, review us, give us feedback. And you're like, well, depending on how you phrase that and how you put the email, you now just informed anyone that's seen their email, which might even be the notification on their phone that they went to an HIV clinic, which is a problem. You know, it's, exactly. it's following it all through. It gets complicated. <laughs> Absolutely. No. I mean, and that's, you know, that's the, the challenge here is there's so many different places that health information touches. Uh, and so it, it really is incumbent upon healthcare systems to think through these challenges and all the different weak points carefully so that you're not unintentionally releasing information like that. Yeah. And it's interesting to, you know, the juxtaposition between what we've talked about so far and, and things like information blocking, right? <laughs> Which is the other end of it, right? Where we're saying, don't be an information blocker, right? I mean, there's literally legislation penalties behind information blocking, which is enabling patients to be fair. And, you know, how do we balance that whole, that, you know, the desire for data sharing through HIEs, QHINs or the new du jour information blocking legislation that says we have to share with patients and, you know, et cetera. How do you balance that with the privacy needs? Yeah, it, it, and it's incredibly complicated. Uh, and, and, and this is why health systems need to be so thoughtful about this and especially, you know, especially in pediatrics. So, uh, so we do have, you know, these information, information sharing rules, so the 21st century cures final act really uh, help promote electronic health information sharing. And again, it's, it's meant to be a positive yeah, uh, and can be a benefit, right? right. And save money and <laughs> all sorts Absolutely, of right? And I think for the most part, patients should have access to all of their, their data and it can be very empowering. And I'm, I'm very excited about the implications of these laws. 
That being said, um, you know, especially when you think about use cases like adolescents, it gets very complicated. Um, and so this is where you have to know all the different laws that affect. So, so for example, those California state laws around adolescent consent that I mentioned, um, the 21st century cures and, and HIPAA specifically say that state laws like that override the federal laws. So in those cases, while we want to get most of the information to, uh, to teens and children and their families, those state laws say that we can't release those specific pieces of information to the guardians of those teens. And so it's, as a healthcare system, our job to know those laws and then to make sure we're getting the right information to, to people. And I should say, again, it's, it's not just the laws, this is the right thing to do to support care for all the reasons we talked about, but it puts us in a very, it's very technically challenging. And so, um, at, you know, in some places we have to say it is technically infeasible for us to separate out this information exactly. And so we're not releasing this information electronically. Here's the way you can get it instead. Uh, but, you know, we need to continue to work to make it electronically available and to, to segment where appropriate so that we can get all the benefits of that patient engagement, that ease of access to data um, to facilitate healthcare as possible. And it just, it just gets so complicated. Yeah. Another kind of um, key pediatric example that I think came to light with the 21st Century Cures Act um, was how much information from mothers uh, gets put in the baby's chart inadvertently or inappropriately. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, uh, it, it used to be very common practice that you're putting in, you know, how often has the mom been pregnant? How many uh, you know, how, how often, how many births has she had? Has she had any sexually transmitted infections? Has she had any mental health issues? Has she, you know, all this very sensitive information that you would just kind of transfer into the baby's chart because you, because it may have impact on the, on the baby. Um, and so I think now pediatricians and, and, and informaticists are going, you know, around the country are rethinking what information is important for the care of the child and what information is just kind of like, this has become our practice and they bring over and it does not need to be in there. And how can we keep that, that maternal data, that sensitive, protected um, while supporting the best care for the child? Um, and so it, it creates this, you know, a uh, really interesting dichotomy. Like you would never take information from a dad's chart and just plop it into the baby's chart, right? And so why, you know, why do we treat um, moms and dads differently? And of course, there are some natural biological things that are happening there. Um, but it, it was really, it is really incumbent upon us as providers and us as as informaticists to make sure that we are we are only putting the information that is relevant to the baby and protecting that sensitive maternal data appropriately. Yeah. Well, what I've learned from this discussion is that everyone needs a Natalie in their uh, organization <laughs> to, be, you know, to, to help work through because it is complex. Uh, you've given me three or four interesting scenarios that I just haven't even thought before. So this is really great. You know, we always like to wrap up with a little career advice as well, uh, you know, uh, and so I'd love to just finish off with uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given in your career? Yeah, well, I, I think I always use the same one, uh, and it's it's about uh, it's about building a network, uh, and uh, and I, I just can't emphasize that enough. I am my network has been my saving grace in so many different uh, different cases, and especially in the one that we're talking about now. So, um, luckily, you don't need a Natalie in your organization because there are so <laughs> many great people that are working on this, and you know whether it's the AAP. Um, uh, technology, it's called COCIT, COCIT group, or whether it's the Children's Hospitals Association, CIO group, or we have a, a, a large pediatric community that's partnering with EPIC to try to um, work with EPIC to, you know, to build out pediatric specific content. 
Um, we have a CMIO for kids listserv that we've created where we've got CMIOs and at pediatric organizations across the country that talk regularly on a, on a listserv. These communities have been so invaluable for helping me to figure out the right, the right path forward in my own organization. Uh, so I just that's my advice to everybody is, you know, start start early, start that that networking um, and really building a community of people that you that you can that you can reach out to when you're trying to solve these problems, because we're all working on on similar problems and there's so much that we can learn from each other. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you network best? But you kind of answered it with all these different little communities that you talked about, which highlights something so beautiful about technology and our connected world. You can find a community for anything, <laughs> like good and bad. <laughs> it doesn't exist, create it, right? And so I think that's, you know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot out there. You can find it through listservs. You can find it through your, your, your societies. You can find it through your vendors. Um, but you know, like like even the um, the CMIO group the, for the pediatric CMIO group didn't exist initially. But a few of us started talking, like, oh, let's start this listserv, and so now we have this huge community. So reach out, find what's out there, and if it doesn't exist, create it. And the people yeah. are looking for it. That's a good point. Be brave, and uh, if if there's not one, there's someone else probably wants it. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking time to share these insights and perspectives. It's a lot of fun to have you back, and uh, thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting applications. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, John. It's fun as always.